We're going to be talking again about uh, the rapture of the church. And uh, you should have a handout that I have prepared for you um, in your hands. If not, we'll, we will make sure that you do get one. The, I, want to, I, I want to just show you a contrast events of the second coming. Now, you know that when we talk about the second coming... It, it happens in two phases. There is the, the catching away of the church. That's a secret catching away. That is that no man knoweth the iron of the day. And it is a time when uh, the Lord will come for his church. And uh, the Bible says plainly in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter, 1 Thessalonians the 4th chapter, says plainly that the, the church will meet the Lord in the air. And then at the then at the then when he when the Lord comes back seven years later after the tribulation period, the Scripture plainly says that every eye is going to behold Him, even those that pierced Him are going to see Him, uh, and that His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So this has to be talking about it has to be talking about two separate occasions. Cannot be. You can't have it both ways. We can't meet him in the air without Christ touching down on the ground or having Christ touch on the earth. So, so I, to, I want you to see, I've got it on the screen as well for you. Uh, I want you to see, and you've got one of these in your hands, just so that you can kind of in your own mind, the contrast between uh, the rapture, which is the blessed hope of the church, and the glorious appearing, which is when the Lord comes with all of his glory, okay? So number one... Christ comes in the air for his church. Number two, uh, number one in the glorious appearing, Christ comes with his church to the earth. And the Bible says that we will come back with him. Number two is the rapture, is the translation of all Christians. And when the Lord comes in the, in the glorious appearing, no one is translated off the earth at that moment. No one. So it has to be a different event. Number three Christians are taken to the Father's house at the Blessed Hope. Number three, the resurrected saints that will be resurrected out of, uh, out of the tribulation period do not go to the Father's house. Number four, no judgment on the earth at the rapture. Number four, on the glorious appearing, Christ judges the inhabitants of the earth when he comes again. Number five, church is taken to heaven at the rapture. When he comes back again, Christ sets up his kingdom on the earth, the Bible says. And he reigns for a thousand years. So it's important that you understand we're talking about two separate events, okay? Uh, a lot of people don't, uh, number six, the, uh, the rapture is imminent. According to the scriptures, we should be looking for the coming of the Lord at all times. The glorious appearing cannot occur for at least seven years. Why do you say that? Because that... That final phase of the second coming will only happen after the tribulation period, which is a period of seven years. We talked about that last week. So the rapture could take place right now. It could take place this very moment. It could take place before we get home today. Steve Harden said the other day we ought to have our, our bags packed. We ought to, you need to keep this is one of those things, Steve, you have to keep your bags packed. Amen. Because the Lord could come today. It, and uh, even beyond that, the Lord could come for you or me today. Whether the rapture of the church takes place or not, he could come for you. And so keeping your bags packed is good, good, good preaching, good advice, okay? 
Uh, number seven, you may not know this, but there are no biblical signs given for the rapture. The biblical signs, but many signs for Christ's physical coming at the glorious appearing. So that any, and the reason that being the early church. Let me, let me explain to you something about the, about the preaching of the imminent return of Christ. That doctrine which permeated the early church and their preaching was that Christ could come at any moment. As a matter of fact, the early church fully expected Christ to come in their generation. Amen. They fully expected that. And Paul had to, and, and First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians is Paul's writing by the Holy Spirit to lay down some information to help that generation and succeeding generation understand the difference between Christ coming for his church and Christ coming with his church. But the reason why the church believing that Christ could come at any moment is, was so important and is so important is because when you believe in the imminent return of Christ, it, it, it causes us to be more evangelistic, to be more missionary-minded. We understand that people don't have a lot of time. What happens when you stop preaching that Christ could come any time? The church gets lazy. We, it, you know, we just rock along. It, you know, we, it's, the Lord couldn't come now anyway. He's not coming now. And, and then the Bible said the dangerous part of this for the church, that in the last days, the lukewarm spirit that we talked about in the second, third chapter of the book of Revelation could grab a hold of the church that even God's people would start saying, where is the promise of his coming? And many of the church would start to fall away. So I, I, am, I have always preached the imminent return of Christ. I believe that Christ could come today. I believe that there's nothing left to be fulfilled that would keep him from coming today in the rapture of the church. But there are many, many signs. There's over, there's over, there's over uh, 300 verses in the Old and New Testament that pertain to to Christ coming in his revealed glory and bringing the judgment against this earth. It's pretty, pretty. And so when you see all these signs taking place and all the things that's going on, these are signs not of the rapture. The rapture will happen seven years prior to when these signs are being fulfilled. So just keep that in mind. Uh, number eight, the, the rapture is for believers only. Uh, no, uh, the glorious appearing affects all humanity, the Bible says. Number nine, the rapture is a time of joy, according to the Apostle Paul. Uh, when Christ comes in his glorious appearance, it's a time of mourning on the earth. The Bible said that they shall mourn when they see him, and they're going to hide their faces and say, uh, and call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the face of God. Amen. So it's two different times. Uh, the rapture takes place before the day of wrath, that is the tribulation, the glorious appearing immediately after the tribulation, Matthew 24. Uh, at the at the at the rapture in number eleven, there's no mention of Satan when he when the Lord comes again at the glorious appearing. Appearing, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Immediately at that moment, he is he's bound for a thousand years. At number twelve, at the rapture, uh, the church will go to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the judgment seat of Christ as we go forward. Uh, number twelve. One of the reasons why it's so important, I believe, that, that, you, that you understand what we call the pre-trib, pre-tribulation rapture 
is there's some events that have to take place. Okay, we, my, my slides are moving ahead of me here. Uh, what you're going to see here is just, and you have this on, it's just an outline uh, of the pre-tribulation rapture showing the past ages. we got the cross, the church age where we are now, the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period, uh, the Antichrist, the, then the Christ coming in his glorious appearing, then the millennia, which is a thousand years, and then future ages, which will be the new heavens and the new earth, or in righteousness. Um, two things, upon, I, I don't know if you can make this out on your copy or not, but two things, the Father's house, uh, you will see it taking place the judgment seat, according to 1 Corinthians 3, and the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the marriage of, of Christ to, to, to the church. Uh, these two events happen in heaven. Now, the reason I'm making a point here is because if you were, if, if the rapture and the second coming are the same event and they happen at the same time, there, there is no time left, there's no time to fit in these two events, which are two of the most important events that's going to be celebrated in heaven. One is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Two is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is where the church will be rewarded for their, for their service. You, it's not a, it, that judgment is not whether you're saved or lost. If you went up in the rapture, you got it made. You were saved. So this has nothing to do with you losing your salvation when you get to heaven. This has everything to do with, with being, that's why when you, this is another point. That's why when you see, when we get into the fourth chapter here, Revelation, and you see the church, which is symbolic of the four and, 24, four and 20 elders, when you see them casting their crowns at his feet, they have already received these crowns. Where did they get them at? They got, them, they got them during the judgment seat at the marriage supper. The judgment seat would take place at the marriage supper, and, and everyone will be presented crowns of accomplishment. Crown, not, not crowns of, Jesus gets the crown that, for the ruler. We get crowns of service, but in, in, we will cast our crowns at his feet. Another point that makes it clear, I believe, that the rapture of the church will take place before the seven-year period. We get our crowns early. We get our crowns then. So if you, if you figure the timeline, if you try to have the second coming and the rapture taking place at the same time, uh, some, one of my pastor friends refer, refers to it as the elevator trip. You know, it, the church goes up and straight right back down. You know, boom, up, down, you know. The, the church got caught up and met the Lord in there and come right back to the earth in just seconds. That's not scriptural, I don't believe. Um, Let's see, the marriage supper of the Lamb, verse 13. Uh, verse 13, for glorious appearance, his bride descends with him. Uh, number 14, for the rapture, only his own see him at that time. And the glorious appearing, every eye will see him. Uh, at the rapture, the tribulation begins. At the glorious appearing, the 1,000 years of Christ begins. So we're talking about uh, two different, uh, totally different comings and two different events, all right? Now, uh, all of this will, will be on, on the handout that, that I gave you. Okay, under the judgment seat. Let me get back up here again. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. And uh, the Father's house also is a part of the rapture when Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. That's, you know, we use that for a funeral verse a lot of times. John chapter 14, 1 through 3. Uh, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place. for. This is, this, is, this is the rapture part. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. That's, a, that's not only just a wonderful, wonderful comfort for funerals. That is a rapture verse. That is a rapture verse, all right? Okay, let's, uh, I won't have time to finish this, but I want to go ahead and go through this because I'm going to move next Sunday into a verse-by-verse study of the fourth chapter, which is going to be pretty amazing uh, because for the first time in all of the Bible and in the first time in all of revelation of God to man, we get to see the throne of God. It's the first time ever it is revealed to us, and, it, and the revelation of that throne will really just blow you away. And I can't, I can't even hardly talk about it without the excitement overwhelming me. Now, I mentioned this, I think, last Sunday in one of the services, not in this class, maybe last Wednesday night. Probably in two weeks from now, we're going to begin the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. And from there through the 19th chapter, it's one of the most graphic descriptions of human destruction and human suffering that Christ said it called it, uh, the Old Testament rather called it the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus calls it a time of wrath and trouble in the 24th chapter of Matthew like the world has never known. That would include the Holocaust. That would include all the ravages of all the wars. That would include all of the horrible events that have taken and passed in history. That in these seven years, especially the last three and a half, the first three and a half years, as you're gonna, we're going to find out, will be a time of the Antichrist, this world leader. He won't be called the Antichrist. That's not going to be his title. The Scripture shows us his true nature. He will be called an incredible, gifted world leader that will have all the answers to all the problems. He'll solve the energy crisis. He'll solve the Middle East crisis. He'll be the one guy who will come up with a plan that not only will the whole world agree to, but Israel will sign on to. The only guy. This incredible guy. He'll have all the answers. He's going to be. He is. He is. He, he is the, it is the devil's attempt to recreate Christ. And it will be the anti of Christ. He will, but he will, the Bible said he'll do miracles. He'll raise the dead. He'll do signs and wonders. Even, even the people on the earth of that day will, mar, the Bible said they will marvel at this man. The word, they will marvel, not just word. Finally, it says they will marvel and then they finally, they will worship him. That first three and a half years will be uh, the tribulation time, but it will be building up. And it's at the middle of that three and a half years where he will break his covenant with the Jews and he will offer an abomination of desolation in, in Jerusalem. And then there will take place the mark of the beast. And now not just, not just that number that you already had during that time. Now if you don't have it, you can't buy nor sell. And then, and then the tribulation saints, which we'll talk about, these are people that will be saved uh, during the tribulation, there will be people, there will be many people saved during the tribulation. We'll show you that as a result of the 144,000 who are super evangelists that help evangelize the world after, after we're gone. After we're gone. Uh, the reason I wanna, I'm, I'm prefacing this because there's no way I can teach you the book of Revelation from chapter 5 through chapter 19 without, without tears. And I think any 
everybody who reads those verses and rejoices. Oh, they're, well, the world's going to get there. Oh, well, bless, I, I'm so happy. That, that idiot's going to I, I can't. Listen, there's a lot of wrong going on in this world. But I don't think I can rejoice that anybody goes to hell. I just don't think I can do that. So when I'm teaching you these chapters, they'll, they'll be, I will be teaching it from a, from a broken heart. And even Christ, who on the day of separating the sheep from the goats and the great white throne judgment, not the judgment seat of Christ that takes place in heaven, the white throne judgment takes place on this earth, probably in the plain of Megiddo. Where we all that were in Israel got to see that incredible place where the, also the Battle of Armageddon will take place. It will be a time when he separates the sheep from the goats and the great white throne judgment. And Christ will say to those who were lost, he will not rejoice. He will say, I am sorry. I am sorry. It was not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the Bible said hell that was created for the devil and his angels has been enlarged from beneath to receive the multitudes of people who will, who will fall headlong because of their sin. And, because, and when you go through the book of Revelation and all these things begin to happen, you would think surely, surely, They'll repent now. And the Bible says when these events happen, that they repented not of their fornication. They repented not of, they refused to hear. They refused to repent. And so many of these people will, will die. Many of these people will, will end up in hell and, and the lake of fire. I will teach you the book of Revelation with all that I can teach you about it, which will be very limited compared to, to the depth that is there. But I just must tell you there's no way I can rejoice that when the Bible says that a third of the earth is burned up with fire at one time and a third of the people and the animals are, are, evap are just, they're, they're evaporated by, by, by that death ray, whatever that it would be, whether that's an at atomic bombs or whether that is the fire of judgment falling out of the heavens, I cannot rejoice that those people may, may never see God in peace. I can't rejoice in that. All right? So... Some of the books I have read over the years, it's almost like the authors are saying, you know, well, I know we're having to put up with a lot now, but bless God, they're going to get theirs. And I just, that breaks my heart. I, why can't we say, God, save some of those people? Even, you know, when we, when we pray for our, our Congress and our Senate and our, 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 our Supreme Court judges and our president, and, and, all of, and all of them are making decisions that are not godly, and all of them are making choices that are, that are not in alignment with the Word of God, and as much as that pains my heart, as much as I disagree with the policies of our government, there's no way I would want one member of the Supreme Court to go to hell. There's not one way I'd want one member. It's not one. No, I pray that somehow God will convert them. That they would turn, that even our, even, even our president and our Congress and our leader would turn their hearts toward the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Because Christ will never, he never wants to give the last altar call. But the Bible said there, there will come a day, Brother Hart, there will come a day when the fullness and the times of the Gentiles be come in and God will shut the door 
as he did on Noah's boat. Even Judas, who betrayed the Lord and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, which, as you know, was the price of an Old Testament slave. If you wanted to buy a slave, it cost 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. And Judas, who betrayed our Lord and leads the Sanhedrin guards to the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ was praying. And Jesus sees him coming and, and he greets Judas not with the words, well, you traitor. No, no, no. He said, friend. He's not being facetious here. Jesus is not being politically correct. He calls Judas his friend and says, friend, would you betray me with a kiss? And Judas kisses him on the cheek. But I'm telling you right now, if Judas had at that moment fell down at Christ's feet and said, I am wrong, I've, I, forgive me, do I believe he'd have been forgiven? Just as quick as Christ forgave the thief on the cross, he would have forgiven. Because, it, listen, all he wants is repentance and accepting of that blood that he shed at the cross. Amen. Praise God. All right. Praise God. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn in your Bible uh, there, uh, we'll begin with verse 13. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 13. Now, I'm going to give you reasons why I believe uh, that the church will be. Why is this important? Let, let me explain why you're turning. It's important to me. Number one is our hope, the devil would love to rob the church of, of our hope. Because sometimes in this life, the only thing we have is hope in situation. And, and, and if the devil could rob us of our hope that Christ was going to come, and save us, keep his word that he's going to save us from the wrath that is to come. That's what Christ said to the church. I will save you from the wrath that is to come. Several times he talked about you have been saved from the wrath that is to come. If the devil could, could create a mindset that, well, we don't have that hope. And, and that, we're, and, and, and that all, all you've got to look forward to is the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and and the majority of the, 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 the church being annihilated by this Antichrist, that's, that's, that's not much hope to look forward to. That, that's not a blessed hope. The rapture is a blessed hope. That's why, it's called, that's why it's called the blessed hope. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that is, those that had passed away, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Boy, there's that word. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now he's speaking of the church. He's not speaking of the, the sinners that are dead. Because the only people raptured or resurrected at the rapture would be Christians. The, the Bible said the rest of the dead will not live for another thousand years and they'll come up at that time so we're not talking about that that resurrection we're talking about the resurrection that takes place at the rapture 
for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And this is an important verse right here, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, why would the Apostle Paul tell us to be comforted with these words if it's speaking of the church having to go through the tribulation period, these words will not be words of comfort. These would be words of fear, words of uh, 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 get ready for this incredible, horrible time. This is another one of my points, and I'll get to this later. There's nowhere in the Bible does the Bible teach you to prepare for the Antichrist, to prepare. The Bible teaches us to, that, there's, to, that our hope is Christ's coming. To redeem the church. So he said, these words ought to comfort us. Not cause us despair. Not, not cause us to fear. Not cause us to, to be worried that we are, that, those, you know, I was, I was in a church years and years ago as a young pre preacher preaching. I was preaching this message about the hope we have. And somehow there were people in that church, not all of them had been taught that, all they, that, that they would have to lay down their life for you know, for their for their salvation and and give their give their life to to get get to heaven during the during the time of, of the antichrist. And I began to preach to them the hope. And suddenly there were people in that church, old people. And, and I had one lady come to me. She said she said I had, she said when I think about what's coming, she said I am I have prayed for God to just let me go ahead and die, rather than be alive on the earth when this takes place. You see what kind of that she, robbed she was willing to to not even live a whole she was she was 50 years old she was willing to forsake 30 more years of life to be maybe to live till she was 80 or 85 years old just just in case that she's going to have to face this antichrist and have to face this the and she was willing she said i prayed god let me die let me don't let just let me die in my sleep let me have a heart attack let's let me die now let me get run over in a, by a car wreck don't let me live and have to go through that. And I began to preach that, that these verses were not verses that were warning you. These were verses of comfort. This is this. You don't have to. You don't have to. Before you may live to be 90. It won't matter. If the Lord, if he, the Lord has to come and you're 90 years old. You're still. Amen. When the Lord comes, you're going to be called up. Amen. Out of this being saved from the wrath that is to come. All right. So uh, you, if you're taking notes, I want this to be point number one. The pre-trib, I'm going to just call it pre-trib, trib for the word tribulation. The pre-trib understanding of the second coming is the most logical position when you take the word of God literally. I'll say that again. The pre-trib understanding or the view of the second coming is the most logical scripturally when you take the word of God Literally. Now, read, let, let me just divest here a second. What am I talking about? There, there are, in order for you to believe anything other than the pre-tribulation rapture, you have to take some verses of Scripture and turn them from being literal verses and make them figurative or become metaphors. One of the fallacies of the people who teach that the church will go through the whole tribulation is that they 
used these five from chapter 5 to verse 19, not as actual events, but they're, they're speaking metaphoric, and, and so that it's not going to be near as bad, they say, as it looks like it's going to be. Well, here's what Jesus said about this book and the, and the whole book. But he talked about, he said, He that addeth to or taketh from the pages of this prophecy, his name shall be taken out of the Lamb's book of life. I'm telling you what, whatever, there, there, when it is to be taken figuratively, it's always noted. When Jesus is telling a story and that story is a parable, he says it's a parable. He'll say, learn from this, but he calls it a parable. Which is an allegory. It's a story that he, tell, he takes one thing and talks about it as though it's something else. But when he doesn't, it's got to be taken literally. When he, he doesn't say, when he tells a story about the, the rich man and Lazarus, he said there was a certain man who had many goods and a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate. When Christ tells this story for the first time in, in ever, he pulls back the curtains and let us view a, 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 just a brief glimpse. We don't, get to, we don't get to look at it long, but just a view, brief glimpse of hell and the abode of the dead, both righteous and unrighteous. Now, those who say, well, there is no hell, and when man dies, if he was not saved, he just goes back to the, the dust. Because that was a parable, they'll say. That's, he was talking figuratively. I No, 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 no. Christ... Go back and look at it. Christ taught more about hell than he did about heaven. Even saying you ought, to, you ought to be so afraid of going to hell that if you have a wandering eye and your eye offends you, you ought to pluck it out. He's not talking figuratively. He's talking literally. He said, or if your hand offend you, you ought to get somebody to take a hatchet and cut it off. He said, because better would it be for you to enter into heaven without one eye and one hand than to go to hell with your, all your members intact. That's not figuratively. He's talking literal. And so when you take, so, so when you read, and when you read, when you read these, what I call perverted scriptures perverted opinions where they take and say well you know I, that's what the, I know that's what it says but that's not what it means uh, no 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 don't 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 come to me with that I, I'm not going to go there if it's said now if it's to be taken figuratively then Christ will give us that or the word of God always always and you go back how do we know when Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower how do we know what the grounds are, the different grounds. Because later he comes back and tells us. He said the stony ground is, 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 is those who are hard and have hard hearts. And, and the seed can't penetrate. And, and so he tells us. He always interprets the parables. And if there is no interpretation, then you have to take it literal. Okay. So the, the position of the pre-trib rapture is the most logical view of both the Old and New Testament when you take the Bible, literal, literal. Here's, here's my other point, and I'm going to move on to my second one. There is a danger when denominations or when people or when leaders start down the trail of saying, well, this doesn't mean this. I know it says this. My question is, where, where is that going to stop? 
It won't stop, Brother Lawyer. That's why, that's why 27% of Christian clergymen today, that's almost, a, that's 25% of Christian clergymen today do not even believe it in a literal hell anymore and don't even teach it. 25% do not believe in the literal return of Christ to the earth. That's all figurative and spiritually. There is a group of people teaching right now, Christian group now teaching, that, that Christ has already come, and, and this is it. And we're going to have to stay here, and our job will make this, turn this earth we're into into a paradise ourselves. Well, good luck on that. <laughs> they tell us that things are going to get better and better. My Bible tells me that things will wax worse and worse until the end, man deceiving and being deceived. I'm going to tell you who, you, who you're going to believe, man or the Word of God. There's a danger in getting outside the perimeter of the book. Because when these people start saying, well, you know, that doesn't mean that. I know that says that. And I've had to, and, and you all know, some of you that's been here for a while, know that one of, one of my closest friends I ever had that, that went to Bible college with him and, and had so much respect and love for and, and, and work with ministry. And we, we had, I, had to, I had to leave fellowship with him a, a few years ago because that man did what we were. He first started out talking about this was figurative and this was not literal and this has happened. And, and you know where that's led him to? It's led him now to the doctrine of inclusion. What is that doctrine? That means that everybody is going to be saved whether you repent or not because Jesus died for everybody and, and they're automatically saved. He told me, he told me that, that, that Hitler was saved. He told me that, that all the dictators of the world that has, and if, if Hitler, can let me just say this this, this, this stretches my heart a little bit, but if Hitler, I don't know that he did, with his atrocities and murdering millions of Jews, if Hitler, five minutes before he died, repented, and ask God's mercy, for God's mercy. Then he got it. Oh, I just can't believe that. Well, how are you going to get in? If the grace is only good for certain people, if grace is not grace, if grace is not grace, so I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you right now. So, so you, you, you understand something, that the grace of God is, is what covers us all. But... But, but, but this, this doctrine that everybody is saved, and it's not. So I asked this man, I said, you're a missionary. Why are you going to these? If they're all going to be saved, why are we spending millions of dollars going in these countries to give them a chance to reject the, the gospel? And his answer was that the, that the work of the church now is not just the induction of Christians into, our, into the faith, but it's, it's to make the world a better place, build hospitals and build roads and take, do water wells and build schools. And, and all of those are good things that should be an outflow of salvation. Amen. But, but the gospel must be preached. Amen. And, and, and it, it has to come with repentance. You can't, just because Jesus died, if that blood's not appropriate to your life, that's not going to do you any good. But I'm just showing you, once you veer away and start saying, well, this don't mean this, this don't mean this, this don't mean this, this don't mean this, there's no stopping with that. And so I'm telling you, the number one reason I believe that the pre-tribulation view is the most logical view of the second coming is because you take the Bible literally. And if it's going to be figuratively, 
then you are able to understand that. All right. Uh, number two, it clearly and logically untangles the contrasting details of Christ's second coming. That's what I, that's what I have on the screen. Well, that's those are passages right now, but on on your on your chart, that first one, rapture, blessed hope, glorious appearing. The, the, this the belief of pre, the pre-trib rapture untangles these events and allows you to be able to see the logical contrast between Christ's second coming and the rapture uh, of the church. Number three, the pre-trib viewpoint allows sufficient time to interject important end-time events. Allows sufficient time to interject important end-time events. It gives us time for the Christian to be taken to the Father's house, experience the judgment seat of Christ, have time for the marriage supper of the Lamb, these are all events that will take place in heaven before Jesus comes with power and great glory back to the earth. Number four. This is the only view that distinguishes between Israel and the church. And this is important. My friend that I'm speaking of, and we have now, do I pray for him? Do, do I speak? Yes. I, I, when I tell you we don't fellowship, we don't hang out. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't preach in this He doesn't preach. He doesn't preach in this pulpit, because he, as much as I love him, I believe he's in false doctrine. So, we had to say, listen, we'll pray for each other. We'll. We'll. I'm, I'm still going to love you. Still going to pray for you. I still want to be friends. I still send my Christmas card. I said, but as long as you believe this, there's no basis for. You can't come stand in my pulpit. As long as you believe this, you can't preach here at this church anymore. We, we, we hugged each other and, and, and cried on each other's shoulder. And I've only seen him one time since. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a heartbreaking time for me. But it was also a time that I had to stand and say, this doctrine will not, this, I'm going to fight this doctrine. This doctrine is not going to be loosed on this church. We're not going to, we don't believe that here at the Bundle Live Church, and we're not going to bring people in that believe that. Amen. So that's just how that's going to be. Uh, it's the only view. Now, the reason I bring, it's the only view that distinguishes between the church and Israel, because most of the other views say that Israel no longer is pertinent in God's plan. It's exactly how it's worded in their literature that Israel. It's now no, no better or no worse than any other people on the earth. And that they're not special. They're not to be prayed for over anybody else. That Jerusalem now is, not to, is no more important than, than Dallas or Washington or San Francisco. It's in their book. That, 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 that there is not going to be a restoration of Israel. So when Paul says <laughs> there's going to come a day when all of Israel is going to be saved. Well, he didn't really. That was... That's what he said. The Bible, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, all of Israel shall be saved. The Bible said, don't you, get, don't you get all high and mighty, you Gentile church, and think you're really something special. The only reason you're where you are right now is because Israel was blinded that the, that the, that the Gentiles may be grafted in. 
Hallelujah. And we're growing on the same trunk that Israel grew on. He said, but there's going to come a day, he said, I'm going to take the church out of here. And at that time, Israel will, will, become my, will be restored and their eyes shall be opened. And Paul said, all of Israel shall be saved. Now, that's why I believe in the pre-trib rapture is because it still gives Israel a place as the chosen people of God. And we are, to, today is the, the global day of prayer. We prayed uh, today in our, our 830 services. Also, the day we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which we did that in the early 830 service as well. Understand this. Amen. Uh, important. It's the only view that distinguishes between church, the church and Israel. All right. I'm going to stop right there. I'll stop right there, and then we'll start up again next week. We need a few minutes to pray here. Uh, thank you for being in this class. Thank you for being part of this service today. I love you all so much. I appreciate you. I am praying that this study in the book of Revelation is going to cause us to become greater soul winners and become really concerned about the lost. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Praise God. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.